0: Go to exponentbeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y, dot com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two, zero, for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. Okay, I got to loosen up. I got to get ready. Yeah, you should be nervous.
1: This is intense.
0: You should be nervous, because you don't even know what I'm going to say. I am nervous. <laughs> I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend or answer on social media using the hashtag 10thingstotellyou. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. This time, for the guest. This episode is a little different because instead of asking you to answer a question I pose, I'm asking my guest the questions. There are so many fascinating people out there with things to tell. Every few months or so, I'm hoping to have a guest for us to learn from or to be entertained by. And who else to start with than my amazing husband, Jeff Tremaine. We've been married for 11 years and have packed a ton into that time, especially having our two young kids. And since I've been sharing on the internet for most of our marriage, I always get a lot of questions about our relationship and our family, so we're going to talk about some of that today. Jeff is a producer and a director, and we met on the set of his first film in 2002. If you care to hear more about his early career, check out episode number eight of my podcast, Smartest Person in the Room, where we talk more about how he went from being the editor of Big Brother Skateboard Magazine to creating the cultural phenomenon Jackass, which started as a TV show and then became a series of hit movies. He's also made several great documentaries, he has several TV shows on air at all times, and he's directed numerous national commercials and campaigns, including the American Airlines safety video that plays at the beginning of every flight. That is for sure his most watched work ever. I'll link to all of those projects in the show notes. But this week, this week, his first first scripted film is opening, it's a Netflix original movie called The Dirt, based on the book by the same name about the infamous band Motley Crue. In our conversation today, we talk about why this movie took so many years to make, Jeff reveals the smartest decision he made in the beginning of it, and we answer a few filmmaking questions that people sent to me in advance. After all of that movie talk, Jeff and I get down to the important stuff And we have a good conversation about how we did or didn't stay connected while he was away working on the film, the secret trick that my therapist had us try, and how he feels about making a movie that doesn't necessarily align with his own values. I sincerely hope that you take something from our discussion that you do want to share with a friend or a partner or that prompts something in your journal. Okay, so I don't want to belabor your sort of background and all of that, your career, your meteoric rise, (laughs) (laughs) because we did that on Smartest Person in the Room. We covered a lot of that. I really want to talk about this movie that you're making, that you've made, that is coming out this week, Motley Cruz, The Dirt on Netflix, March 22nd. I want to talk about that project, and then also we're going to talk about things, you know, sort of how movie making affects our family and sort of just the more personal side of it, the side that you don't get asked about or talk about in normal press stuff about your projects. So I do want to talk about this movie because I'm super excited about it. So give me just a little bit of the origin story for The Dirt.
1: Well, the origin story goes back a ways it goes back to 2001 when i read the book when me and all of our little jackass team we passed that book around that book was kind of our bible in a way
0: but why you weren't a huge motley crew fan no
1: i didn't come from it like i think i mean the book is is a super honest look at their life like Crazy! They tell crazy stories. It's not like they're biting their tongue and just giving you hints at the craziness. They tell tell it all. But my attraction to it, I think, was that I felt like I was living that life as I was reading that book. It was really interesting. I was sort of sitting shotgun to this story unfolding. I mean, in, in 2002, 2001, it was really most of the fun, crazy stuff.
0: But, by by living it, you don't mean you were just experiencing the book. You like as a having a good reader experience. No,
1: no, no. I was experiencing the life that they were like a similar like it's what Motley Crue is for young guys who sort of have this crazy rocket ride to the moon and back. You know, and it and sort of all of the good and bad that comes with that. Like I was watching it happen to me and the guys, so
0: on um, the jackass shows with and the, movies with
1: the jackass shows and movies yeah i watched what all of that effect has on people like in, in Molly crew was also sort of like they were encouraged to be crazy they sort of set this bar and then everyone expected them to be that way and so that bar kept getting lower and lower i would say and and we had the same thing happening with us and and also with them no one was telling them no no one was telling them you know, it was just pure craziness. And, uh, you know, and it's similar. I think it's when fame and money meet <laughs> recklessness and a sort of mindset. And like, I think we had similar gangs in a way.
0: And relational dynamics of, you know. And, how- and,
1: and as it, as time goes on, yeah. Like, t- like the, I mean it honestly, with both the good and the bad of it all. Like addiction and all of the bad things that come with it. Uh, I've seen it all
0: and how you're like a family and families yes and we've have even, conflict. we have you know
1: with us we even lost one of our guys you know it's, it's the whole ride is very similar and that's why I wanted to that's why I just I felt like I had to do this movie and I I held out for this to be my first scripted movie and it wasn't because I was a Motley Crue super fan it was because I wanted in a way to tell a story that I could relate to and it felt so similar
0: I mean, you held out, man, because this project as a movie came to you in what year? All right,
1: so so yeah, that was step one, was I read the book. In 2001, or 2002, let's say, we were doing the first Jackass movie with MTV Films.
0: Can I just interject here and say, that was actually the movie where we met, my love. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on to talk about your work.
1: Did you read the book
0: then? No, I didn't read the book until you got it as a project.
1: Well, because I, th- I, I don't think we talked in the first part of this when we were reading the book. Anyway.
0: Also, on that first movie, you full-on made fun of me for reading a book on set of the Jackass movie. So there's no way you were passing me a book to read.
1: <laughs> Listen, I've read probably five books in my whole life, and this is one of the ones I read. So,
0: Okay, sorry. Go on. Let
1: me ga- on. gab about it. Um, <laughs> so at the time, we were doing the movie with... MTV Films. And MTV Films, at the exact time we were doing this movie, optioned that book. And so I talked to David Gale, the head of MTV Films, and said, Hey, man, if you need a director for that movie, I'm your guy. And I was half joking, because I don't, even maybe to this day, consider myself a real director. But...
0: Back then, you're but back it.
1: then I like, I barely knew how to make a TV show when we were in in the middle of making a movie. So I, I really he didn't take it serious at all. He looked at me and just kept it moving. <laughs> and that project got developed at Paramount and then fell out. And uh, in 2010, right after we finished Jackass Three, which now I am a seasoned director, ready to make my first breakout <laughs> scripted feature, I get an email from my agent. And the subject line is "Are you a Motley Crue fan?" And I'm like, "Holy shit, the dirt's out there again." I, I didn't keep track of it, but it—I knew—I knew it as soon as he s- sent me that email. I'm like, "I knew what it was," and so I right away got on the phone because this is when I was—I was starting to feel like I, I want to do a, a, a scripted narrative
0: because you had done the Three Jackass movies, which were, are not scripted, but you had also by 2010 you'd also done some documentaries. You dabbled in the other. Yeah, you weren't. Right, no, we, solely. We, I, I, I,
1: I honestly did feel ready to, to dive in. So I, I, I talked to my agent and he told me the deal and I went in wholeheartedly. Like I, I don't go after much. Most of my work falls into my lap. This one, I went all the way after. So I really did something I've never done before where I just went all in on this and I went and pitched it to the two producers, Julie Yorn and Eric Olson. So they liked you, <laughs> or did they? <laughs> they liked me, yeah, I, I think. Because honestly, I think I was this the underdog coming into this. Like, I, you know, I hadn't done any. I didn't have anything. I had Jackass to show for me. And Jackass doesn't tell you that this guy should direct your expensive scripted movie. But when I went in there with, I think, me being just full-on honest and showing them the work like that I was this hungry for it, and that I'm going to do this until this right. I went over those producers, and then they put me... I had to go out and meet each of the band members and convince them too because they had to say.
0: What was the band members' role in making this movie? They have what kind of control did they have over the story?
1: They they control the story. They you know they own the rights to the book. They they are attached producers on this movie. I had to get their approval to direct it. Right. They had control over it, but they didn't exert much control over it. Other than I had to pitch myself. To them, I had to get approved by them that I'm the guy that can tell their story. And then uh really, they've left me completely alone, as you as you know, yeah. <laughs> other than I've reached out and talked to each of the guys as I need to fill in gaps and things like that.
0: But they haven't micromanaged you. Have,
1: like, I was so ready for them to. And honestly, if someone's telling my story, I think I couldn't, I would not be able to sit back and just let them, like, I can't believe how little they micromanaged and weren't up my ass on this thing.
0: So you get attached in 2010, 2011. I remember because I was pregnant with our son. That's 2011. <laughs> you don't know when our yeah. son was born? I don't
1: know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yes. we were. And so that's when I remember, that's when I really remember the beginning of this ride. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's 2019, so what happened? <laughs>
1: Well, it turns out it's not that easy to get a movie made. You know, like I was spoiled with Jackass TV and movie. Both of those went fast and furious. It seems like, oh, it's easy to just say you want to do it and they, it'll happen. <laughs> That's so true, actually. And like, it's actually a miracle anything gets made. Like, there are so many pitfalls and so many things that can go wrong in the process of trying to, to get a movie or even a TV show made that I've learned that it's not as easy as I thought it was.
0: No. And over the years, being in Hollywood all this time or just being a Hollywood fan all this time, I have heard of projects that when they get made, you know, it will be in the press or something like, oh, it took 10 years to make this, 15 years to make this, whatever. And I used to always also be confused like why it took that long or it wouldn't register with me how long that actually is. until so now that we have lived this, like... <laughs>
1: it's crazy. Like, like it's And so yeah, crazy. I don't think this story is that unusual. I, I feel like it's been crazy. I've been attached to this movie for eight and a half years. I, I went to a screening of Bohemian Rhapsody and, and heard the producer get up there and he's been trying for... 10 plus years to get that movie made. So it's not... I guess it's just part of the course. It's
0: not unusual, but I think when you're living in it, it feels like, I can't believe we've been
1: to Eight and a half years, this. that's a long time. I mean, it's not like I sat there and waited and waited. I have did well, other things.
0: But what happened is you made Bad Grandpa, which, unlike the other Jackass movies, has a narrative.
1: Yeah, it's like a baby it. step towards making a, a full-on scripted movie.
0: But it was proof... To the outside world that you could do scripted. Maybe. Well, I'm telling you it was because as soon as that movie came out and was a success, you know, you started getting interest and calls from studios and...
1: Yeah, I'd say that movie definitely more than any of the Jackass movies. I, I would get scripts. I would get interest from people to, to do a movie just because the success of Jackass and the humor in Jackass. Yeah, but it but was different. I was getting not the best scripts. Not, nothing that was saying... Man, stop what you're doing. This has to get made now. I don't think any... Like, most of the movies that I was getting scripts for were, like, back then, direct-to-video. Now, I don't know where they'd be. There's plenty of outlets, but...
0: But then after Bad Grandpa, you were getting, yeah. you know, high-level interest. Yeah. And, in fact, you, you know, you had to turn down some some pretty A-list projects because you thought the dirt was going to go right then. Right. And...
1: So, well, because we we got a deal with Focus Pictures... And it was going full steam ahead. We we put a writer on to clean up our script and it it seemed like it was gonna go. Like they were it was very serious. And then everyone left focus pictures that we were working with and we were at the one yard line and stuck with no ball. And it was basically like starting over again. And we had to go shop it around to different studios and it took a long time.
0: What was your mindset when you when the focus Features part fell apart. Were you like, what am I waiting on? Do I need to abandon this? Do I need to stick by this? Like, what were you?
1: I I was frustrated, but I wouldn't say I was ready to quit. I mean, it was definitely like, well, let's see what else falls in my lap while we're trying to get this made. But I I don't know. I I wasn't just gung ho looking for something else. I was still hopeful. And
0: you had more faith than other people on this couch.
1: I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I, I I just knew, but it definitely was a setback when Focus left. But then interest picked up, you know, not too long after that. And yeah, eventually Netflix came through, and we had to sort of, all right, are we cool doing with this with Netflix? And and actually, I was like excited. I'm like, yes, Netflix is perfect for this. So I
0: thought it was the best case scenario. I thought it was
1: the best case scenario too. You know,
0: a few things that people ask me. I asked on Instagram if people had questions for you. And not surprisingly, because these are the people who listen to my stuff, they have some personal and family things, which we'll get to in a second. But a few of movie making questions came in. One that I want you to answer is, what's the difference between a producer and a director? (laughs) Which is really a common question. People actually don't always know that. And I will just say that you are a producer and a director- Jackass stuff and creator. I mean, that's your baby. Yeah. This was besides commercials. The first time you were a director for hire, right? Right. Which is a which is a different role. So it, so, take your creator hat off and just be like, what is the difference between a person who is directing a movie and a person who is producing a movie?
1: Director is more of a specific. This is the guy that's in charge of making the movie when it's time to go. Like, like, tells the actors what to do, tells the camera where to be. We all... The director answers all the questions when it's making the the actual movie. The producer has to do everything else. (laughs) (laughs) The producer has to make sure the director has what he needs and putting out all the fires around it. So, you know, guarding the director from a lot of that. I, I don't know. It's different because I've produced a few things, too. And there's no one thing... I do. I think the producer has to consider money, where the director should never be concerned with money. The director should just think about what's best for the movie. How can I get this? How do I do this? You know, and then you get eventually it comes down to how do we solve this with what we have? And you just make creative decisions. But the producer has to be really concerned about the money.
0: And following like whatever rules you're under, like a studio's rules, a you know, different states have different laws about shooting. You know, right. they're sort of more about right. rules. And there's
1: different kinds of producers. There's like I'm only a creative producer, so I'm always on the helping solve creative problems and guarding the creativity of the project. Whereas there's then the much more budget line producers and and the producers that just do more of the selling of the project and get, gaining the rights to the project. Yeah, you know, there's. Producers do everything.
0: Yeah, producers do everything. And there's a hierarchy of producers, but it they really do wear a lot of yeah. hats, whereas a director has a pretty specific yeah. job. Like,
1: you know, like when I'm doing a movie right now with where I'm a producer on it, and there's four producers on it. Really, uh, the two most involved producers are me and another guy, and he talks to the studio. He's the one that talks to the studio. He's the one that made this deal happen. He... he got me attached to the deal, rounded the whole thing up. And what do you um, do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everything else.
1: <laughs> I do, like, yeah, I'm much more involved in the how we're going to do these things and helping the director get what he wants and, you know, guarding the creative on the project.
0: So, like, the director is the person, he's more than this, but just for clarity's sake, who is on set saying, like, this is the shot we're going to do right now. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he's the one the actors have to come to. He's the one that has to, you know, fight with the producer to get what he wants. He's the one that just... that. But he's the ultimate voice on set, like, the over the producer, like, the, the director.
0: It's almost like the president of except a... For, co- except for the producer, you
1: can fire the director, so... Uh,
0: okay, stop moving.
1: I had to. I, I'm getting old. My hip hurts.
0: It's almost like the the president of the company and the CEO of the company.
1: I guess I don't even know what that is because I'm (laughs) not in that world. But (laughs) I think that producing, though, has helped me learn to be responsible with the money and responsible. Like, I think like a producer, even as a director.
0: Okay. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating. And yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. com and use code you y-o-u well that's enough on filmmaking because we're not good about talking. About that. <laughs> so let's talk about a few things you actually shooting the dirt you shot it in new orleans over a period of about five months with these four great actors playing motley crew and then you know also great actors playing the sort of peripheral roles that was the first time you had done anything like this like i don't i can't even overstate that that this was just a whole new world even in the commercials and stuff that you do they're often stunt based or hidden camera based or you know they're yeah you know so this was the first thing that you had done like a full scripted with very professional actors did you feel when you got to new orleans did you feel (laughs) over your head
1: yes I felt over my head the whole time making the movie, in a way. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I felt over my head, but I went into it with an attitude that I am going to be the least experienced person on this crew. I'm not bringing anyone up. I'm not taking a chance. I'm, I want only experts around me. You know what I mean? Like I hired veterans, a great DP, a great production designer, a great costume designer. Top to bottom, they were all seasoned people that understood. Also, I made it clear that this is my first narrative feature and I'm leaning on you guys to do this right, you know, and to look out for me. And they all understood that. And they all, like, it wasn't intentional that everyone was sort of the same age, that we all kind of grew up in this era and everyone wanted to get this right. A lot of, in a way, because it's our youth. We were almost the same age as Molly Crue, just a hair young. We were the, Kids growing up during this time, and and everyone wanted to get that right. You know, no, nobody's done this kind of this movie. You know, this scene, this loud metal scene on the Sunset Strip, doing getting all that right. You know, it's been you, you, there was like Rock of Ages, which is more of like a parody of it. This was something I never wanted to. I was very careful for it not to feel like a parody. Mm-hmm. You know, like people seeing my name attached to it, I think wanted it to be Spinal Tap or a a joke, and I was so. Nervous about that and concerned about that, especially with the big. I mean, this is an outrageous-looking movie. This the the hair and the costumes are they're they're not what you see today. You know,
0: well, and that look has become a joke, so it would be easy to.
1: One, I wanted to make sure the hair looked right. The hair was I was so scared of the hair because if the, if it feels like an actor's wearing a wig, this movie doesn't work. This movie becomes a, a parody. So. We had to find the right hair person and spend a lot on the hair.
0: I noticed this from the beginning and just thought it was so interesting. That because it was your first feature, you checked your ego at the door a little bit. And you did not do what the tendency, someone's tendency might be, which would be like fake it till you make it. You surrounded yourself with people who were willing to help you out and say this is... This might be how we should approach this or whatever. Instead of, I feel like some people might go in and be like, I'm just going to pretend I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or they wouldn't hi- they'd not hire people who would look down on a first-time director, and you hired people who were happy to work with you I'll and happy. i tell you, happy- like,
1: like one of my attractions to Toby Oliver in particular, the director of photography on the movie, was that he had just done Get Out. And that was Jordan Peele's first movie. And when I was interviewing Toby, he talked about that and how he looked out for Jordan. That appealed to me. Like, he had a body of work that... But there were a lot of, you know, other cameramen that, that had the same... Not the same, but like, you know, good quality people that I, that were up for this gig. And something about that, I'm like, he's my guy. I know he's going to look out. He's not going to hijack the movie. Oh, you yeah, know, The other thing I was vulnerable to would be a DP that has a different agenda that would bowl me over... Because I'm new to this, and but Toby also doesn't have a huge ego. He has a, let's make something cool, and let's do this together. Like He helped me out a lot and educated me a lot on how this is done.
0: I think that was super strategic of you and super smart, because I just, I don't know that everybody else would approach it that way. I think most people would be like, I've been waiting to take this shot for a long time, so I'm going to give it my best swing, which you did give it your best swing, but with fully acknowledging from the second that you had a lot of help.
1: Well, I knew that I knew the one thing I could do is I can build this gang of guys. If I give if you give me the time and give me the right cast, I will go and make this real. Yes. That's what I know I can do and I can get a performance out of these guys. Would I know what lens to put on and how the, to storyboard this all? No, I needed help with all that. And being able to not worry about the costumes in the hair where the camera's gonna be and all like that was all off my plate like I had the right people who cared to do it all right and were responsible and I just didn't have to think about it they would show me the stuff I I had to think about it but I just didn't have to worry about it
0: yeah you Um, hired the right people I hired
1: the right people and that made it you know so I got to do what I'm good at and that's just get in there with these guys and get them to buy into it and we all figured it
0: out you're so good at creating a world and that's what you did. I think, and a camaraderie, because one of the things that shines through, I think, a thread that shines through in all of your projects is that the people are enjoying each other. They're enjoying what they're doing, like they're having fun and they're really bonded. I think when you can see this is like why why an ensemble cast is like when it works really well, it works. And I think you are good at that. These actors didn't know each other, right, when they no. started. And so you can create this like bonding experience, I think. I've watched you do it. And that makes everybody more invested in the project. Were you scared the whole time?
1: No. You know, like once we started, it didn't feel that different. It actually felt pretty familiar. Like I, it, I, I think just having done a lot of commercials, a lot of being around the set so much, it's, it's not that different. And once, once I kind of earned the trust of the actors and, and I gained confidence that everyone's going to pull this off, it, it became pretty comfortable. It was, it was it's it's strange for me to be able to control everything. <laughs> I don't mean that you have full control, but you know what I shoot normally is so there are so many variables that I have zero control over. This, you know, they're going to be in the light. You know where they're going to be. You know where the camera can, is supposed to be, yeah. and you know what they're going to say.
0: You mean like pranks versus scripted
1: pranks? And yeah, and in reality, you know, I do a lot of hidden camera stuff where you have so little. Like we're trying. I've done a bunch of really scripted stuff shot in the real world and that's so hard.
0: Yeah. That's not the same thing. It is
1: not the same thing. It's like, like, it was like, it was relaxing in a way to know, oh, they're going to say this here, they're going to be in the light saying it. (laughs) Just control over
0: it. You're like, this is easy. Wow.
1: (laughs) What have I been doing?
0: (laughs) So, another question I got from quite a few people is that This movie is about some hard stuff. The band's choices. It is truly sex, drugs, and rock and roll. How do you feel making something that doesn't all align with your personal values?
1: I mean, I I don't know. I I think... Like, I haven't done all... Like, I I haven't lived their life. But I've seen that happen. I I felt that... um, I just wanted to tell it honestly... The both good and the bad of it, and show both sides of it, and th- this is a true story that I'm telling. This uh, this happened, and it's crazy, and it and it and there's really fun, crazy things that happen. And there's really dark shit in that that really happened, and we're telling it all. So uh, I don't I don't feel like it reflects on me. I'm just telling the story, but I've chosen to tell this story, so
0: you're telling the story you're not living the story yeah
1: i'm telling the story not living the story
0: do you have any hesitations at all in making something that like your kids can't watch
1: you know i've made so few things like my whole career is based on things that kids can't watch <laughs> so i don't feel that weird about it they get mad at me you know especially when a script or something comes through that they could they get mad at me that i won't even do it so I'll tell you, like when I watched Bohemian Rhapsody, I loved that it was so sort of PG thirteen.
0: But we we took our kids. who we were took the kids, and seven I was, and that nine. That made me so
1: happy to, to be able to watch that with them. And then I thought, man, I wish I could show them this movie, but nope.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not letting watch, them watch this movie till they're thirty. <laughs> I don't.
1: I showed them the trailer.
0: I know, which I don't know about that. There's a couple things in the trailer that are that gives one pause. Yeah.
1: Well. I'll tell you, there's one loud S bomb in the trailer.
0: Did they? What did they do when they heard that?
1: Well, to be honest, we hear things with language in it that we don't tell you about. But what? Um, so they didn't. Like, they didn't react too much to the. Well, I, I mean, you know, and I took our son to go meet Vince Neil when he was screening the movie for the first time, and uh, before Vince got there, we. We were testing the theater to make sure the sound was right. And we put on this one concert scene. I thought, oh, well, he can sit here and watch the concert scene. There's nothing too bad in it. And then I forgot that right at the top of that concert scene, there's this little scene of them before they go on stage. And there's a string of just four or five just F-bomb after F. bomb after I was like, okay. Oh. Jeff. But then the concert happened, and then there's... One shot that I had to distract him while during that I did it, and he was fine. he loved it, so he had great I, notes on the you know I showed him the trailer this is our seven year old and he 's like, "Daddy, can I give you some positive feedback?" <laughs> and I said, "Positive feedback, sure he 's like, "I think this shows too much of the movie." I'm like, well, first off, that 's not positive feedback that 's <laughs> constructive criticism." Um, but that's a very good. I, you know, I appreciated that. That's really observant of him to, to say that. And I said, you know, I used to think like that. I used to be so upset in the old days. They would show these trailers and give away these big jokes that I wanted to hold back. And then I learned over time no, you've got to, you got to make it so people want to see it. And if it's good, no one ever says, "Man, I didn't need to see that." I saw the trailer. I, you know, they'll only say that if it's bad. So,
0: well, I know this interview is about. You and not me. But I don't have any issues with the stuff you making not being suitable for our children. If we were to go by that standard, I mean, if any, everyone was to go by that standard, then everything would be G-rated, which I, I don't want to live in a G-rated world. Me neither. So <laughs> we don't show our kids most of what you, you do. And I don't it's mean, fine they've
1: seen so little jackass. Like I,
0: they've seen almost no jackass.
1: Almost zero.
0: Which is funny, because at this stage, there are things they could watch for most sure. Most of
1: it. Like, honestly. Like there's,
0: most of it might be uh, stretching. I would be selective
1: of you, <laughs> Most of it. No, 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 Half of it.
0: Like, a, there's a, I can think of a few scenes.
1: Okay. Whatever.
0: <laughs> okay, so we've got all that movie-making stuff out of the way. Got
1: all that Hollywood bullshit out of the way. Now <laughs> let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's
0: get down to the actual things I want to talk oh about. God.
1: <laughs> I have to go.
0: No, you don't. Okay, so just on the on a pure basic level, the work that you do requires you to travel a lot some years. And last year, the year that you made The Dirt, right before that, you had also been making another movie that took you away. So we went through.
1: Yeah, this was a very long, hard year.
0: It was a us. really long year. We really went through about I don't remember, maybe 15 months, where you were gone a lot. Yeah. Especially the, the stretch, making the dirt, where you were gone for five months and we only saw you once. It was a really long... No, we saw each other three times, to be clear. I mean, kind of.
1: Kind of. I mean, like, you know, you and I had a big, long conversation before. And you, thankfully, and I'll I say it to your face, you were awesome about giving me permission to go and make this movie the way the way I needed to do it, and that was to be buried in it. And it was very hard. It was hard. I'm sure it was hard for you. It was hard for me to be away from you and the kids.
0: Well, I felt like we had waited so long for you to make this. We had, and I say we because, you know, we do make some of these decisions in consideration of each other, and we had turned down, you know, you had turned down things to make this movie. I mean, this would had been our eyes have been on this goal for a long time. So Mm -hmm. when it finally came to be, I wanted you to be able to go and not worry about us. You know, there's an option in this town with friends we have. If people go away to make movies, sometimes their families go with them, depending on the link. Like there's a lot of ways that you can do this Hollywood thing. For this project, I wanted you to just go and not have to worry about us in any way if we were you know, okay, or entertained or whatever, like you needed to just immerse yourself and do this. And that felt very noble on the front end. <laughs> yeah. But it actually ended up being really hard to be apart. And, you know, we didn't talk as much as usual. We definitely didn't see each other as much as usual. Now that kids are in the picture. So you've only made two big movies, two big, actually now three big movies, since we've had kids, and that changes the game in terms of what you're missing. Missing five months with our kids, yeah. no, thats it's a lot.
1: It, it, yeah, it, it definitely, that's something I, I would consider on any new projects coming up. It's like, wait, is it really worth it for me to, I, I have to really love something right now to, to commit to it because I know it it's, it means a long time away from the family and then when you come back and put it together, you're still not really, I'm not really available when I'm brain in, editing, you know, I'm, how I get, and right? it's hard.
0: It's hard. So one of the things people have asked, because I, you know, people have spouses who travel, spouses who are deployed. I'm not equating deployment with making a movie, but just people who are having to be apart. How did we stay connected? (laughs) You answer and then I'll answer.
1: (laughs) How did we stay connected? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Well, Well, remember you made me do the... um, Think about you for 10 minutes every day. Routine.
0: That was from my therapist. I didn't come up with that. Do you Uh, want to say something about that? Because I think that was actually ended up being really key.
1: Well, you brought it up to me and... and
0: Hold on. I brought it up to you because the truth of this answer is we weren't totally connected. And I don't know how that was on your end, of course. But on my end, it was hard to be disconnected because some hard things were going on back here. Like we had, I had some health issues. We were having some extended family drama. Like I was sort of like not having the time of my life, solo parenting in sort of a rough season. Well, from my perspective, you were fully living your dream in an awesome house in New Orleans. You would call from the bar, like having a great time with your new friends and that grates on a girl after a while. And <laughs> so we started to, I feel like we were not on the same page exactly. And I go to therapy regularly. So as I'm talking to her of like, oh, I'm f- you know, feeling sort of frustrated by this. I'm fe- starting to feel resentful, which is not how we went into this project. We went into this project both so celebratory. And so my therapist, who is amazing, she suggested this exercise for you to do. And I want you to tell me what it was, and if you did it, and if it worked,
1: I was supposed to think about you for ten minutes a day and just
0: I, and that's it like just sit there and think about me you can be on your phone you right. could be doing and so, anything else.
1: um and you know it, it and I and I went into it like all right I'll try this and I did it I did it the first day and I did it the second day, and it was like you know just kind of peaceful like just just not taking you for granted and just thinking about you thinking about the family and how important that is and it was it was actually a good exercise, a good morning routine for I did, I did it in the morning every day before I leave. I'll just kind of have my coffee and just think about the family, think about you. And it it, it was good. I think it did reground me and reconnect me to you. I think it was a I did it. I did it every day once you yelled at me about it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't yell at me about that. We we got into a bit of we got into a thing and then I wanted to make an adjustment cuz I knew I was Screwing it up.
0: It was it was a hard balance for me to let you fly and go do your thing, and then also feel disconnected. Like it was, right? It was harder than I thought it was going to be. We've talked about this now numerous times. That next time, next time you make a movie, or next time we're separated, we'll do several things really differently. This was like a huge learning experience for us. But in the minute when we were in it, yeah, the sort of band aid that we put on it was this. Was One of the things that we did was this exercise. And I will tell you, I could tell you were doing it. Like there was some kind of tide change with that. Like it just changed the energy around our conversations. You weren't always in a hurry to get off. I wasn't always yelling at you for something going on here. I feel like it changed the way we started to sort of communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. That was maybe halfway through. Do you feel like
1: it was it was well into it. I don't know halfway. I don't know where it was, but it definitely it was it was good. It was a good exercise and actually a good time to do it. Like the, I had to be so underwater for a minute, but then I had to also get re tethered and re grounded. Like and keep things in perspective, you know. So,
0: and then when you came home, what was re entry like into our family life? And I mean, you'd been gone a long time, where you'd been living on a different. Yeah, it it, it
1: took a minute. I think it's always like I was, you know, definitely took a minute to readjust. It was sort of awesome too. It was nice to come home. I was ready to come home. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I think it wasn't worst reentry ever, but there, you know, there was bumps in the road. I think we were all glad for you to be home. You were glad to be home. Like I think it was a little bumpy, but I actually think it was fine. We had one big disconnect. When you got home, we had a date night that sort of <laughs> went yeah. sideways. And looking back, it feels like well, that was sort of a necessary reckoning, a little bit. Yeah. Like you sort of have to have the. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's it's, it's it, you have to go through that. I don't know. Like we we can't. I, I mean, I knew we were going to come out of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't. It ended up being fine. I don't have the thing that some spouses complain about upon. Connection after being apart, that the one who the person who's been solo parenting has sort of put certain rules and rhythms in place, rhythms in place, and then when the other parent comes back, it sort of screws it all up. I that actually doesn't really happen with us because it's not that different when you're gone. I mean, we sort right. of have a way that we do our life mm-hmm. and
1: We've got this parenting thing down.
0: No, it's not about parenting, it's more about like we're pretty simpatico in how yeah. we are doing we, certain and, how we do our days, yeah, and we, so we
1: have in a way a schedule of how things go, yeah. it, and we stick to it, and it makes life simpler for sure.
0: We don't one of us doesn't come in with whole new ideas and try to shake yeah, it up, Yeah, and,
1: and like I I stick to it. If you're gone, I stick to the schedule. Yeah, the schedule because it works for us.
0: Yeah, so I don't. We don't really have that. Another sort of question I got was, do we? talk about the different work different projects that we're doing do we have input on one another's projects to which i laughed out loud because no
1: (laughs) not at all like i showed you the other movie i'm doing for the first you didn't know a damn thing about it
0: but it wasn't because i don't love you i didn't say it's because you don't love me no but also you don't understand how the internet works (laughs)
1: I've been described as a luddite. I I, I didn't learn what that word meant.
0: You don't really get what I do. I get what you do, but a lot of it isn't like to my immediate taste, and so you would not value my opinion on like what's funny. (laughs) We don't think the same things are funny necessarily.
1: I was shocked how much you liked that other movie.
0: Are we allowed to talk about the other movie? No. Um, not really. Okay. Well, it's hilarious. And I it comes out in October. We can say that. And yeah. I can't wait for everyone to see it. And I, I loved it. And I love your work. But like I can't speak to it. Yeah. And I always feel very... You always act very supportive of my stuff, even if you don't know what it is I'm talking about. I feel the support from you just as, like yeah. as a human.
1: Well, I want you to creatively shine.
0: Do you have feelings about that I share so much on the internet?
1: No. It's strange to me still because people come up to me and like, how's New Orleans? I'm like, hello, I was going to tell you I went to New Orleans. And you're like, they, they know things before I see them. Friends of mine.
0: <laughs> because they like, follow me.
1: Yeah, because they follow you and they know what's going on. I'm like, like I don't ever go on I don't know what you say on Instagram. I find out from other people. <laughs> so it's strange. But... But not in a bad way I don't I know you're careful with what you put out there and it's fine it doesn't bother me but.
0: do you trust that I you know have an awareness of what I put out there and what I don't
1: yes I do
0: I put a lot of stuff on the internet about me and vulnerable stuff about me but I there's so much I don't share about our life about you about the kids I give little peeks into things and I just try to be smart about what I share and I'll overshare about myself all day because that's what I value is people sharing of themselves and whatever, but I don't... I think maybe people think I share more than I do. That's a weird thing. Okay, so two things. We can't really talk about what's next for you, huh?
1: I don't know what's next for me.
0: Well, you have another big movie coming out in the fall. I have that. But that, it's I, done. That's
1: next, but that's that's already here in a way. Like we're,
0: do you want to do another movie are you going back to you have a lot of tv that goes on all the time some of that stuff sort of isn't part of your it's, daily it's, you know work,
1: it's, it's just yeah, i have such a strange life professionally that that i've become comfortable it took me a long time i used to like structure i used to like having a nine-to-five job or more like when i did the magazine it was very structured it was a steady paycheck it was here to, it just was just a much more safe and controlled life you know, and it took me a while to embrace the freedom that I have and, and you know, luckily I, like we've had success so it's it's been nice that I don't feel that urgent pressure that I have to do this I have to do that you know I can be more selective because of the successes of things but
0: except saying, let's be clear you work all the time I like
1: making things I like making things I don't have to direct it I don't have to I'll just getting things made makes me happy.
0: Then are you the happiest guy on the planet?
1: I am a maker of things, and it makes me happy, yes.
0: (laughs) Lastly, what do you think about... I don't even know if you want to say this publicly, although I'm sure you're going to get asked this in regular press. What do you think about Steven Spielberg coming out and sort of leading a charge to not let Netflix or other streaming services be eligible for Oscars?
1: I mean, I think I understand what he's doing. He's just... Trying to protect movie theater, the the movie going experience, and the old way of doing it, you know. And I get it, and it's a nice thing to to protect. And you know, I don't know if it's he's going about it the right way. I don't know. um, You can't stop this. This ball is already rolled. (laughs) And for other filmmakers, these alternative ways to get your movie made are it's heaven sent. Because there's so many more opportunities. There's so many more hungry places that are, are are letting filmmakers make the movies that they want to make. So it's still making a movie. You know, like, the dirt won't be in theaters. But it, it there wasn't one thing we did differently. It's just the distribution is different. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still the, it's a 90-minute movie. But you'll see it on your screen at home. Mm-hmm. So... So I think it's a fight. He's not hes not going to win. I mean, well, maybe he will with the Academy Awards. You know, I don't know. I, I see what he's doing, and I, I respect it in a way. But you're fighting a losing battle. Movies are still movies. They're just viewed differently nowadays. Mm-hmm. But the good side of that is people have an insatiable appetite for content. And therefore more of it's being made. There's more opportunities for filmmakers of all sorts to make their movies. And companies like Netflix are doing it in a nice way for filmmakers. They're giving us the right amount of money to make it and the right amount of freedom to make it. So I'm very thankful that there's Netflix and Hulu's out there.
0: Have you ever listened to an episode of 10 things to tell you.
1: I have not. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unnatural for me to, to listen to a podcast. <laughs> I don't know why. I like, I love all the podcasts that you make me listen to, but I don't have the ability to do it on my own.
0: Okay. Do you feel like that was a good conversation? Yeah. <laughs> Is this how we talk in regular life? Uh, A little
1: bit. No. Maybe not? No, it's awkward because there's a microphone right here. Kind of.
0: I kind of wish there was a microphone sometimes in our regular conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: glad there isn't. (laughs)
0: just listen to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.